is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, episode number 67. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners. We tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Brian Hill, the complete combatant, and we're going to talk about what is a complete combatant. But first, sponsors, Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast. Check them out at excesssites.com. CCW Safe. Save 10% on your membership by entering code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. EDC Belt Company. The foundation belt, the most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market. Also a reminder, sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. You've got to sign up weekly to be eligible. And uh, they're giving away some great gear on uh, the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Just a little quick announcement, a little housekeeping, so to speak, uh, next week. So, uh, the week after this podcast comes out, I will be at shot show. So there will be no regular Thursday podcast. Um, I know everyone's disappointed in that. We'll see what we can do. I may do a couple of short ones. I may be able to pull that off, but, uh, I got a pretty full schedule, but I assure you, there will be a post-shot show uh, recap of sorts, and uh, we may have a couple of we may be able to drop several podcasts uh, in one week. Kind of give you some short podcasts. So I got a plan. We'll see how it shakes out there in uh, the great city of Las Vegas. But for now, probably not going to be a podcast on the twentieth. As always, I'll make it up to you guys. Right. All right, if you got any questions or comments about the podcast, please uh, send them through Facebook. We're Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast on Facebook uh, or the website. There's a comment section, offdutyonduty.com. Let's bring in our guest without further ado, Brian Hill. Welcome to your first episode of the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. Uh, Brian Hill, thanks for spending your Saturday evening here uh, with me. I appreciate that. It's been a long time a coming. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure and honor. Glad to be here. Well, excellent. Well, I titled tonight's podcast, what makes a complete combatant? <laughs> so, and I know that's a bit ambiguous. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a bit open, but, uh, but I kind of wanted to pick your brain about what is the path or what is, what are some of the, I guess you could say categories of study mm-hmm. or focus that make someone a complete combatant. And I guess we should really start it out with what is a combatant? So what, what for you defines a a combatant? Well, uh, you know, for the armed citizen or for law enforcement, it's somebody who has to be prepared for the changing context of a personal protection problem. Um, and we don't know what that is. Uh, it can be very, uh, little, to just having verbal skills and recognizing possible danger and avoiding it. It can be to the point where we might have to use a secondary weapon like pepper spray um, or just escaping from the other person. Uh, It may be that we have to use hands-on technique. 
Uh, and then also it could be that we need to use a firearm or impact weapon or, uh, a, you know, an edged weapon. And then also what happens immediately after that? How are we going to handle the situation after that? It's very important. Uh, you know, what happens immediately afterwards? How do we get to safety? How do we handle a 911 call? Uh, what do we say? What do we do? And all those things have to be looking, looked at in their entirety from the beginning to the end because we're risking life, limb, freedom, uh, liberty. And our future incomes every time we have to engage in an encounter like this, and whether you're law enforcement or you're, uh, you know, in personal protection, it's a big deal, and it has a lot of uh, multivaried things. And of course, we all like to work on what we like to work on. You know, shooters like to shoot, jujitsu guys like to jujitsu, but it all has to go together for us, and it has to be strong, and it has to interlock and naturally move from one thing to the next. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I see that's pretty endemic in the shooting community. Uh, maybe not necessarily with some of the people that we, you know, we interact with regular, you and I, mutual acquaintances and friends yeah. uh, is, you know, like you said, shooters like to shoot. So yeah. there's a, there's a whole nother dimension there that, that uh, a lot of shooters overlook. So, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Like uh, you mentioned kind of jujitsu shooting edged weapons, pepper spray, you know, intermediate type stuff. Uh, what, like, where does a person start? What do you think a good starting platform or, or, or a good starting place for somebody to become, uh, you know, a well-armed citizen or a well-rounded mm -hmm. defensive combatant? You know, use Craig Douglas's terminology, managing unknown contacts is the place for everybody to start. Uh, the soft skills, of proactive mindset, uh, understanding, recognizing dangers, understanding our own biology and how we react to it, and what's more likely for us to be uh, at, at, when we're under pressure. And I think that's a big thing I see, especially when we're doing force on force, is people overestimate their ability to handle this sort of stuff, uh, to be able to talk, to maintain distance, to keep our hands up, uh, to recognize what's important to watch, like the hands. Those take years of of, of practice and training. And, uh, you know, in law enforcement, you go through the academy and you think everybody's going to kill you when you get out. And then you, if you're lucky, <laughs> you get somebody who rides you around and tells you what to watch and what to look for and how to do a good job. And that's the secondary training. And I think for especially for people that carry a firearm, that's probably the most important training is is understanding the soft skills of this, understanding how to talk. Um, you know, your per, your people skills are what's going to save your life anyway in most of these encounters. And understanding how people work and how you work is the real key to it. One of the great things for doing that is getting a hobby like, you know, jujitsu or, or some martial art or, you know, learning to shoot under pressure and really learning how you react to pressure and then getting some practice, getting some force on force training. Uh, I think William April said it the best. We all live in a force on force experiment every day and it's called life. So we're always practicing these skills and they're the most important. Well, shooting seems to be the one that we, we share a pretty good love of when it comes to, uh, being an armed citizen, you're going to handle your gun 8 million times to the one time you might have to use it. Uh, for me, I I've, I've tried to express, especially in training that, Hey, look, this, the gun thing is, is a pretty simple part of the equation. Uh, there's a lot of complexity in, in the usage it's really the implementation is pretty simple. Uh, it's all of the things leading up to it that get very convoluted, which is uh, where, like you said, those soft skills come into play. I had never 
thought about this until going to like TACCON and some of the other places that some people have probably never called 911. They don't know what that experience is like. Most people would be pretty well served to get that process, at least have some idea what that process is like um, versus investing all of their time into one thing. So what would you say like four areas, let's break it down to like four areas that, that you think are, are critical. So, you know, I, I think probably the first one is verbal skills um, and understanding how verbal skills and distance interrelate to each other, um, creating a a proper reactionary gap. All that has to go together. That's a really hard subject. Um, You know, for law enforcement, you're reacting, you know, you're going towards something for, for pretty much the armed citizen, it's coming to you. And the sooner you can see something and the sooner you recognize danger, and you also understand what you need to do, the sooner you can start making the decision that this is not should I or may I or can I, it's a must situation and I have to use some sort of force or I need to start escalating it. And, you know, something that was learned in law enforcement is if you use a little violence soon enough and early enough, it solves a lot of problems where you don't have to escalate in a long period. And I think that's what is important for people. I'd say the second thing for every armed defender in personal protection, they all should have pepper spray. It's a great weapon for the armed citizen because we're not going to get in contact with the other guy if we can avoid it. Um, Chuck Haggard calls it the long distance eye poke, which is a great way to think about it. You know, so if I was going to have an MMA fight and I could poke the other guy in the eyes before he got started, I certainly would. And that allows me to escape and understanding what our goal is um, for the armed citizen. It's always to get home safely and, and maybe to get out of our house safely uh, if it's a different situation. But we're always trying to disengage with the other person and create distance and space and get ourselves into a place of safety where law enforcement may have to interact. And of course, if you're in the military, you have a completely different role. But understanding what that role is. And understanding how these tools cycle. Um, One of the big problems we find, and this would be the number four one, is changing decisions or cycling tools. It is very difficult for people to let go of their first decision. They tend to stick with it forever. And they'll write it into the ground if it's not the right one. So, you know, if you decide you're going to use pepper spray and that's what all you're going to do, but the situation changes, you have to be able to change with it. And sometimes the situation changes where the guy says, that's enough and I got to let go. And that's where people tend to chase the other person down. So it's not just you getting away and cycling, but it's also letting the situation resolve itself. And I mean, how many videos do we see where a guy talks himself right back into the fight? Right. You know, he, yeah. you know, he decides he's going to make his point. He's going to get back into it. So this sort of modulation of skills is very difficult. It's hard to practice. Uh, but it's something that's important. And so for the four points, I think verbal uh, agility, uh, maintaining space, having some weapon that is non-lethal in nature and, and understanding how to escalate or de-escalate the situation and yourself is really important. Yeah. I like uh, your example of, of modulating a situation. That's one thing yeah. that's very difficult with, uh, with police officers is, when in a dynamic situation, when the pepper spray stops working, you have yeah. to change, you got to change the tune. You, you can't play the same, you know, you can't march to the same beat if, if a tools become ineffective. And once you've made that commitment to it, it gets really difficult to peel. It's like, all right, your, your can's empty and it's not working. You got to do something else now yeah. and cycling tools. I, I, I really, I appreciate that. That's a, uh, uh, it, it's very reminiscent of like uh, a use of force continuum almost in law enforcement on the civilian or the, the armed citizen side. 
Uh, but it's it's very difficult for law enforcement officers to cycle through that. So let's uh, let's switch gears just a bit. Your your lovely bride uh, <laughs> sent me uh, sent me this and said uh, his first deliberate coaching is in Florida in a couple of weeks. So deliberate coaching. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, my bride is my handler. <laughs> right. Now you- yeah. And if you know any of the guys in the shooting community, those of us that do really well on the road, we have a handler. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it has to organize all this stuff because it's hard. It's hard to do a one man show. Uh, deliberate coaching is interesting. I feel like I've been preparing for this for 40 years. Um, it is my, uh, it's my most important work. Uh, I started teaching and coaching when I was 17, uh, you know, as an assistant instructor in a, in a Taekwondo gym, uh, three years later, I was running 300 students out of that gym. Um, and I was developing coaches and instructors. Uh, I've done that all, almost my whole life is developing other coaches. And what I see missing in firearms training is there's a lot of talk about technical skills, but there's not much talk about how to coach somebody, how to meet their needs, how to improve what they're doing. I see a lot of personal preference over actual principles. And I see people teaching things that don't necessarily fit modern coaching methodology uh, of, of not only adult learning, but how we function under pressure, the things that we are capable of or not capable of. And uh, I, I want this course to be technically agnostic. Uh, I don't really care about which way you grip the pistol, although you would have to defend that and, and make a good case for your peers in front of everybody. That's important. But what I want to do is actually coach the part that is important. Uh, how do we manage the client? How do we present ourselves as the coach? And then what are the principles behind what we're teaching? Uh, if we have a clear focus, you know, the military has a good idea with this, the commander's intent, uh, which I see missing in classes. Oftentimes it's the things I like to do. That's what I call class. Right. You know, I like this stuff. That's cool. Everybody else should do it. But what are our clear focus goals as a coach? How do we achieve these results? How do we communicate with the person? And you notice it's a lot like my personal defense story is I'm teaching the same things over and over. So if I'm good at managing unknown contacts, I should be managing unknown clients just as well as a coach. I should be able to talk to them. I should recognize pre-learning indicators instead of pre-assault indicators. I should understand how my words, my posture, my intent, my goals help them change uh, what the biology is behind learning because biology scales where personality doesn't. So this is a chance for, I, I see a void, um, and that's always the best time to step in when there's an absence of something. I see a lot of great curriculums where they teach uh, the people how to teach a good shooting curriculum or how to manage a line. But what I see is the absence of actual coaching and teaching. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, there's no harder job in the world as being a professional MMA coach and taking somebody that you train for years at a time and throw them in a ring and watching them fight somebody else because you get this really close relationship. And what you learn early is that there's a lot more to coaching than technical skills and movies lead us astray that, you know, if he says the right thing, everything's going to work out. Uh, we have to teach technical, but we also need psychological and physiological skills. And, and I think every coach should be good at four things. Uh, they should be a great presenter. They need to be able to speak well. Uh, they should have great EQ, which is emotional quotient. They should be able to manage people and their arousal level, which is a psychological term, are they underexcited or overexcited? Uh, they should understand their subject matter to a deep and broad level, not just a singular level, but a broad level contextually. And then they should be able to comp comp make people that are better than they are. Uh, 
that should improve people's performance by the end of the day. Uh, because it's easy to do. Like you said, shooting's really not that hard. The context is hard. But the coaching, uh, I think there's a lot of great science. We've got a lot of great science coming into it, and we can really make a difference in coaching. So it's something that I've spent a lot of time on. And you know, if you run a martial arts school, number one, it's not a very profitable thing. But you get a lot of experience of watching new people walk through the door and walk back out the door. And you have to find a way to connect with these people. So it's something I want to bring to the shooting venue because I think it's sadly lacking in a lot of ways. Um, and I think it will make a big difference. I think it's something that's unique and different than what everybody else is doing. So I'm real excited about doing that. Excellent. Yeah. I've said for a long time that the shooting community for a long time was very exclusive and needed to be more mm -hmm. inclusive uh, yeah. of you know, people from all walks of life and, and not just catering to the 1% of 1% that are fully invested. Uh, we have a whole, uh, not necessarily demographic, but we have a whole bunch of people out there that kind of look at a firearm as a fire extinguisher. They don't want to know about the latest gadgetry or carry methods or draw times or any of that. They just want to learn how to run that platform uh, effectively. And, you know, for a lot of years, we alienated those people. Well, if you're not going to carry this, then why would you even own it? And so I, I think that narrative is starting to change, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, I'm not shouting by myself here. <laughs> so, uh, excellent. But it sounds like, uh, is that geared more as an instructor development? I, I would just presume that, that this course you're going to put on is a, or, or a coaching development type type. Yeah. And I, I think we all have one client ourselves. Uh, that's our first client. And I think most of us are pretty poor coaches with ourselves. Um, you know, we don't talk to ourselves well. We don't program ourselves well. Uh, we don't measure and refine our programs and improve our practice. And I see a lot of, so uh, whoever comes to this program is going to definitely become a better shooter. They just won't have a choice because they're going to have to examine their own biases, their own fears, uh, there are areas of weakness, the places that they don't see really well. And, you know, when you talk about coaching, it's an advocacy where you're the support system to see what they're missing. Right. Um, you know, and so I think, it, you know, an individual shooter could improve from this. But I think the person who does this for a living are coaches or has been through, you know, USCCA or NRA programs that needs that next level to make the connection to their people is really going to see a big difference in this. Um, you know, so it, it will help everybody improve shooting, but I think it's going to help them improve coaching at the same time. So I like that you say coaching a lot instead of instructing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was one of the things that's always intrigued me about your, uh, I hate to say persona, but I'm going to say it kind of that aura of, Hey, it's, it's not about just instructing. Cause to me, an instructor is somebody that gets up and regurgitates something that they've seen, heard done. Uh, and a coach is somebody that's able to get into the minutia and the weeds and bring out the best performance out of people. And, uh, which is unique, you know, if you, when you say coach, you know, I, I think about football and basketball and all these other things. And some of your best coaches were not some of your greatest players, which is kind of an interesting paradigm there. I guess you would call it where some of the people that have that deepest understanding are, are not necessarily involved in the execution as much, but they have the, this innate ability to, to draw out the best of people. So I, you know, it's an interesting psychological phenomenon, too, because uh, what it, the difference between a really good athlete is he has an internal narrow focus on self-improvement. 
And all that matters to him is that he improves. So we take a great athlete like, you know, uh, Jordan playing basketball. He drug everybody else up. He wouldn't tolerate less than that because he wanted to be great. Uh, Coaches tend to have an external narrow focus. They are always looking and receiving information from the other person to improve them. Now, it's very hard to do both at the same time. Uh, I have two friends that are very high-level shooters. I just took their class. They're trying to stay at the top of competition and teach full-time. It's an incredibly hard thing to do, you know, because it's two different, very different focuses for us. And that's why a lot of times the B-level athlete, not the A-level athlete, becomes a great coach because I had to tell you, uh, I fought at a pretty high level, but I struggled for every bit of victory I ever got. I had to work at it. Uh, I was involved in a car accident. They were going to amputate my leg. I uh, crushed my back. I broke my collarbone. They told me I never walk again, but I was able to fight at a pretty high level uh, despite having you know a rebuilt leg because I just never accepted that I couldn't be better. So I always had to find a way around it where a lot of people who are good at things, not naturally, but they have a pretty good set to start off with and they don't think about it. They can't transfer that knowledge. And I think you're exactly right. It's that uh, you're an observer and a receiver of information that can actually transmit it to another person, which makes a big difference. It's a very different thing. And, you know, maybe we're cutting hairs with instructor, teacher, or coach, but I like the idea of coaching. You know, I like, I like to connect with people. I like advocacy with the person and yeah. I want them to be better. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's cutting hairs yeah. really at all. Um, yeah. you know, I have, I have friends, people that are, uh, you know, in my circle of, of uh, like-minded individuals mm-hmm. and it's, Hey, why don't you shoot three gun anymore? Why don't you shoot IDPA? Why don't you shoot this? And I have that like drive that, okay, if that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to do that better than anybody else. And I can't do that and convey information and juggle those two things. I'm just not wired that way. Um, it's kind of like playing music. You know, I could mm-hmm. either be a guitar yes. teacher <laughs> Or I can uh-huh. go out and be a gigging musician. That's it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I've never, you know, really dove off into like the field training officer thing in, in law enforcement mm-hmm. is I always tried to perform at a really high level, but having somebody else uh, that I'm responsible for their their training and their well-being, I, I couldn't differentiate that focus. I had to do one or the other. So yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying, and I will give you the award for probably the most cerebral podcast that we've done thus far. On this <laughs> channel. So, how high's the bar? <laughs> it's pretty high. I mean, good. All right. <laughs> um, surprisingly, I mean, you're amongst yeah. Robbie Vadis and Robbie Latham, the two yeah. Robbies that are as high level performers as there is. Uh, and we got off into the weeds a few times with them that were, I, I was kind of like, oh, I've never thought of that. So that's going to be in Florida or you, which yeah. facility there are you going? I'm at uh, a private one in Ocala. Um, it's up on the website. So yeah, I was going to send Shelly a message and say, Hey, where's yeah. he at? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You know, what's funny is my handler did a good job. She sent it me to Florida in January. I taught in December in Florida. Now I get to go in, in, in January to Florida and then, uh, uh, I'm headed off to California after that. So she's doing a really good job. <laughs> she's keeping the climate control going really yes, well. <laughs> that's, that's the, the, the brutality of Oklahoma is, you know, being a, a full-time LEO. When I, when I put post up an open enrollment class, it's usually within about 45 minutes of here, which means I have like April to like October or uh-huh. cause 
anytime else the weather is too unpredictable or brutal. Let's talk practice and preparation for, you know, maybe evolving into a complete combatant or a more complete combatant. So, you know, when we think about practice, uh, there's two types of people. Some people want to muscle practice. They're going to spend a lot of time. They're going to push real hard, but they don't get the results and they tend to burn out pretty quickly. You know, and we see that with athletes. I want to be the best right now. And then they're gone six months later because the human beings, we just don't work very well that way. Uh, So having a practice schedule is really important and to get better at things. So whether I'm practicing shooting skills or I'm practicing coaching skills, it's the same thing. Uh, I want to have a clear goal of the first thing I want to do. You know, what is the biggest thing that I can improve right now that would give me the biggest feedback? And that's why you need to have somebody outside yourself to look at you occasionally, because uh, we're utterly blind to our, our own faults and weaknesses sometimes. You know, if we could see them, we would fix them. But our biases actually lead us away from the things that can improve us. And we've all stood in the class where a guy said, hey, will you try this? And you're like, oh, my God. God, why didn't I think of that? I'm such an idiot, you know? So practice needs to be clearly defined and have one goal. And then you can have a couple of subsets, but don't wander off. Do something repeatedly until you get it. But don't do it by reps or by time. Do it while you're fully present. So our minds fluctuate in concentration between 5 and 15 seconds. Uh, For some of us, a lot faster or slower than that. But that's about it. So like when you see a fighter throw a lot of combinations and he shakes his arms out, he's not really getting rid of tension. He's resetting his mind. So your combination of practice should be when you start to lose focus, you've got to stop. Because after that, you are starting to practice without being present. And it's the same thing with shooting. We find people that aren't present while they're practicing and shooting. That's where accidents happen. That's where poor performance happens. So this idea of deliberate practice, setting a goal, uh, having immediate feedback from it, you know, like calling your shots or practicing, whatever you're going to practice on, get that immediate feedback. Now let's talk about the coach. You should be practicing too. Uh, So when I talk, uh, I'm known as a wordsmith by some people. They keep telling me that, but language is a virus. It paints pictures and it affects people with ideas. So every word I say, everything that I do is important. And I got to practice saying that. And my message has to be clear to me because if I'm not practicing my message, then how am I going to get it across to my student? If I'm not clear to myself and if I don't know what's next, it's very hard. Now, oftentimes when we teach, it's more circular than linear. Uh, You know, some people need this drill. Some people need this drill. You know, some people, uh, they need to work on their grip or, you know, they need to see their sights better or whatever. So we're going to enter that circle somewhere. But from there, we're going to have a pretty good progression. And we're going to practice that progression always. And uh, I I went to teach in Florida and they kind of made fun of me because I like to show up at the range and practice an hour before I teach class because it primes the mind to do what I'm about to do. The biggest thing for a coach or a shooter is to be able to adjust. And if we have built a reservoir of skill through practice, whether we're on the street defending ourselves, whether we're teaching a class, that reservoir skill allows us to deal with adjustment instead of a fundamental that we should already have. And that adjustment skill is really important. So the practice and preparation is incredibly important so that we're ready and that we have a reservoir, an extra 20% of capacity to be able to deal with something new or novel or a changing situation. Let's see how similar we are here before. How many times do you teach a class before you present it? Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I do. It's part of my morning practice. I get up every day and practice because I'm a chaotic person by nature. I grew up in a bad household. So all this structure I apply to myself, because if I'm left to my own devices, I go nuts. You know, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So I get up and practice and then I practice the parts over and over. And then, you know, uh, honestly, everything is related to its, itself. Right. You know, it's it, it, you can string it vertically, but you can also do it transitionally. And then you can bring unrelated things. You made an analogy that was great. Like you've played music, music for a long time, man, music and shooting go together. They're yeah. very much connected, you know? Yeah. So I practice over and over like that. And it's funny. A lot of my martial arts students come to my shooting class and they're like, coach, same class, isn't it? I was like, exactly the same class. Right. It has to be because everything starts with a good decision. We have to understand how our mind works. Then we have to apply a technical skill then we have to assess our progress and then we have to reprogram ourselves to do it right. So yes, I practice it continuously. Um, and I, you know, it's always evolving and changing because a good curriculum should be living. As right. soon as you make it steady, it stops growing. And then it creates a, uh, you know, we did it in martial arts where we made, you know, before the UFC, we were all practicing crazy katas, you know, and great motions and they look beautiful, but nobody could fight like that. You know, along comes the UFC and we're like, Hey man, grappling's really important, you know? <laughs> And then, hey, you got to get back up on your feet again. Hey, you have to stop the takedown. All that stuff became important. So that living curriculum should be evolving. And I'm really excited because there's a lot of good coaches right now, especially in their 40s. Uh, they're going to have a lot of time in shooting sports that have a really good start uh, that are evolving and living their curriculum. And, uh, you know, that preparation of it, I think it's really important. It's got to be done over and over. And I don't think it ever stops. I'm never happy with it. Same here. I, I told, uh, I taught this course at the, the guardian conference in oklahoma city i taught like four four hour blocks and the one similarity with all of them is they were all different they were all the same in title but they all went a little different place and i sat down and tried to take notes between uh classes to go okay i, I liked this i'm gonna i'm gonna change the order of that so you know somebody could potentially come to all four blocks and it be living and different enough that it would still be viable, I guess you could say. But, but it's it's interesting. Like uh, music, like you said, music and coaching and things like that. They all kind of play in together. Um, before I played a song live, I would rehearse it by myself probably a hundred times to where it was just autonomous, and then I would rehearse it with the band about twenty five or thirty times, and then it was you know, it was like this product that you, you put the, you know, the extra wax on the turtle wax on, it's like putting the wax on the car. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of similarities, kind of jealous of these guys now that are in their like twenties and thirties that are really getting involved in this because think about the learning curve from the era of about 1989 until we are here, here we are now and how much just coaching methods have evolved, you know, we're, we're not all running wind sprints all the time. You know, we're, we're, there's, there's a lot more minutia there. So. Yeah. The uh, big thing too is think how much information is available. I know it's hard to filter oh, it. Man. Some of it's not good, you know, but there's a lot of great information and there's a lot of people just like what we're doing right now. We're sharing something. And they said that long form podcasts would never work out. Right. And Joe Rogan is the most important interviewer that's ever lived. Cause he's reached more people for more amount of time than anybody in the world ever has. Yeah. You know, if you look, you look at his downloads and how long he talks, he has talked to more people than any person that's ever lived in the world. 
So Joe Rogan's our most important interviewer now, yeah. you know, which is amazing. And everybody said it would never work. Nobody's going to listen for three hours, you know, pretty eye-opening to me when I got into podcasting and I looked up his stats and he is the most heard person on planet yep. earth in the history of the earth Crazy. media. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> and, uh, who'd have thought, you know, a stand up comedian, I didn't really become aware of who he was other than like that. What was that fear factor or whatever? And I, yeah. I watched that a few times, but I had no idea he had a really intensive martial arts background and all these things. And when you start to look at that, you start to see why he's able to draw a lot of that stuff out of people that ever evolving, uh, train of thought, I guess you could say where he gets studied up and I wish I had the crew of people he had, he does to hand me like a <laughs> sheet that says, Hey, here's all the information. But there again, yeah, that's, uh, I, I can remember the days being involved in martial arts when watching the first couple three, four UFCs and all of my, you know, standing form karate buddies and stuff like that were like, yeah, that uh, passing fad. People will figure yeah. out how to, and here we are 30 years later going, yeah, they were onto something that's even evolved quite a bit. So, uh, it's, well, you not know, that's the most important thing. Immediate feedback. Yeah. You're always getting immediate feedback. And I think like for a comedian, like Joe Rogan or for a musician, when you play in front of an audience or a coach, when you're teaching that immediate feedback always impacts you and yes. it allows you to grow. And that's what we're kind of missing in martial arts. We got stagnant. We are only fighting each other. So nothing outside the system could exist. So it was no longer complex. It was simple. Uh, rules were regulating it. You know, it was a very, I said so sort of system because my instructors, my instructors did it. We do it this way. And it's really interesting. If you watch UFC now from the first one, striking skills are almost predominantly ruling again. Uh, we do get some submission grappling and I love the submission grappling, but people have learned how to strike because the takedown's not as fearsome anymore because they've learned how to defend it. You know, yeah. so we've made a whole circle again, you know, and somebody's going to figure something out. They'll get better at it. We'll be back on the ground more often, but it's a, it's a growing thing. And that feedback, man, uh, you know, that's why I think Joe Rogan does so well is because I can't imagine just standing up there and telling jokes. That's going to be hard. You know, well, that's yeah. horrifying. Yeah. I was telling my, uh, my handler the other day, I said, you know, I had the most <laughs> respect for a musician I have is somebody that can pick up one instrument and their voice and fill a room with music and keep people's attention. That is a talent that I do not have. You know, there's nothing to hide behind, but as I look at the, the firearms community and in, in training, it's the other thing that's a lot like music or martial arts is you get the kind of cult of personality. Somebody sees something from someone and they latch onto that. And that's all they want to know because that worked for me. And that's, that's great. And I've been on this kind of journey the last about two years to kind of look at where did all this come from? And, and mm -hmm. Daryl Bulky and I have, have had a lot of deep conversations about that. And I, you know, I went to, I made the pilgrimage to Gunsight earlier, you know, la or late last year. And it was really interesting from the historical perspective to see who kind of distilled this down first. And I won't even say first who, but who actually put it into like a, a working functioning program. It's a lot like MMA or, or anything else. It, it starts, somebody finally says, this is the, this is the way we're going to march. And then it, mm -hmm. it goes around and then it kind of comes back. And so pretty fascinating stuff.
Hey, it's Saturday, and I, I feel like I've kept you long enough. What are is some final thoughts? Maybe uh, you know what you got on the horizon, or well, guys, it's it's really important uh, to realize that you want to live in an uncertainty because that's where creativity thrives. When we're uncertain, we're thriving in creativity, and we're going to grow. Uh, I always tell my class, you can be two things in life: you can be right, or you can be certain, but you can never be both at the same time. Um, people that really understand that they're on the right path are willing to change too. They're going to change and evolve and get better. And the things that I believed two years ago, a lot of them I don't believe anymore. Some of them I believe even deeper and differently. So, you know, we're always going to be evolving. If a coach does a good job with you, you won't even recognize he was there. So the cult of personality should fade because coaching is actually a quiet job and the celebration should be your success. When you go to a class, you should feel like you got better. And you, if you recognize the person that helps you, that's fantastic. But the success comes because we're doing the work, we're doing it together, and we find out. Um, now, my handlers got me on the road for like 40 classes this year. So I'm going to come everywhere in the United States. So you guys come and see me. Uh, I'd be glad to work with you and share some of these principles. Uh, you know, we have three different courses that we teach, which is deliberate coaching, uh, the Red Dot Concepts are Essentials course, and then image-based decisional drills. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be on the road. And I got to tell you, I love coaching more than anything. And uh, it's my uh, most important thing in my life as far as fulfillment and purpose. Uh, you know, I can't say it makes me happy. It gives me purpose, which is more important in the long run. Again, the most cerebral podcast. Thank you, Brian Hill. Um, <laughs> a reminder. Check out today's sponsor, Excess Sites, title sponsor to the podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. As I recall, uh, our buddy Michael from uh, DSM likes to listen to it on Spotify. Uh, I have not. I, I listen to it on iTunes and the website. A reminder of the website, we do have a comment section. So, uh, Feel free to chime in there. Our sponsors, Excess Sites, CCW Safe, Off-Duty 10 will save you 10 on your membership. And EDC Belt Company at edcbeltco.com. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Quick reminder, no podcast next week. I'll be at SHOT Show. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.